you're tuned into Decay Mag Podcast Online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news Good evening ladies and gentlemen I am your host Ken Artuz founder for DK Mag and you are listening to DK Mag Podcast Season 6 Episode 6 also would have to point out that not only can you find our podcast on iTunes and Google Music, but we are also on Spotify. Just type in D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G and you will see a nice list of all the previous episodes to our podcast. This episode we will be presenting not one, but two roundtable interviews. The first one is for the film Let's Play Dead Girl. Joining us for this roundtable interview was the writer and director Cristian Alexander Moran, actresses Yesenia Rivas, Laura Guzman, and actor Thomas Berglund. The film, here, here is a synopsis of the film, is very intriguing and I personally enjoyed it because it was a Latino driven film with a plot that really hits home with the social commentary. The synopsis reads as follows. Let's Play Dead Girl is a story inspired by true events about three girls experience with Slender Man in early 2014. Josephine and Judah are best friends who create a mysterious godlike creature named Alto. They write stories, draw pictures, and always talk about him. They become completely obsessed. The girls create a website dedicated to Alto. It gains thousands of followers. One day they decide that the time has come to bring him to life. And the only way to do that is by sacrificing one of their friends. What about this story will make your skin crawl? The girls are only 12 years old. And I have to stress out that most horror films start out with this bullshit uh, based on a true events. And you question, what events are you talking about? Well, that's not the case with Let's Play Dead Girl. In our second roundtable, we feature co-writers Tara C. Hall and Joshua Johnson. Joshua Johnson also served as director for Buzzard Hollow Beef. This feature film is making a film festival circulation. And here's the synopsis. A psychedelic horror that follows a family who, after experiencing vivid hallucinations, believe that they have been poisoned by cannibalistic hillbillies. Much like the first film I described, Buzzard Hollowed Beef also has a social commentary and in my opinion, watching this film, that would have to be 
tainted foods. Hey, we all know Monsanto is providing us with that those hearty fruits and vegetables that you get at Whole Foods that are filled with chemicals. Yay for paying uh, for those top dollar prices for quote unquote organic foods. But that's just my opinion. Anyway, this podcast is filled with information. We're going to be talking about some upcoming films also a brief spotlight on upcoming indie video games and trailer first impressions and without further ado here is dk mag podcast season six episode six movies friends don't let friends Kicking up our coverage for movies is the upcoming film Friends Don't Let Friends and when I say upcoming this film is going to release on the 28th of November Tuesday 2017 here is the synopsis for Friends Don't Let Friends a violent breakup leaves one man dead and a group of friends dispatched into the desert to dispose of the evidence. Friendships are tested as a group push the boundaries of what can be done in the name of being there for a friend. This film it is written and directed by James S. Jamie Brown and the co-director is Lindy Brown. Here is some information for the press release that we received. Uh, the shooting style of Friends Don't Let Friends keeps a fast-paced momentum and continually engages the audience in a voyeuristic way. Jamie and Lindy brought a docu-style feel to a violent and twisted horror story that truly makes it hard to look away. Now, watching the trailer for Friends Don't Let Friends, I couldn't help but find the similarities with I Know What You Did Last Summer. It has that same concept of which a group of friends get together, trying to help that one friend in need, and shit hits the fan because they get hunted down by a deranged serial killer. In this instance, what the, uh, the co-writers did for Friends Don't Let Friends, it has that same vibe, but it is also different because we don't see a serial killer per se. We see some type of creature with very, it's it's desperately in need of a, of a manicure. I tell you that those, those hands are pretty, uh, yeah try to get that fixed whatever whatever you are anyway i'm interested to watch this film the the key word in this press release is the docu style feel and i am not a big fan of found footage films is if that's what they're implying so it's it's a toss-up but watching the trailer i don't i didn't see that at all it yeah it grabs my interest let's just put it that way i'm keeping my my mind open for friends don't let friends don't let friends 
yeah, even the movie posters, gnarly those hands. I w I'm so curious to see uh, who those hands belong to. Yeah, maybe Jaja uh, Gabor or someone like that. Yeah, the way they look, gnarly. Anyway, here is a quote from Jamie S. Brown. Quote, I knew from the beginning that friends don't let friends had to feel visceral for the audience. I wanted them to feel like they were watching something they shouldn't be allowed to see with people that felt familiar and close. Each group of friends has a Stephanie, a David, a Jeb and a Carrie. My hope is that we've created something that lingers with you long after that first watch." Unquote. Well, Adam, I'm not sh too sure who Stephanie, Dave, and Jeb and Carrie are, but I guess we'll have to watch the film in order for us to understand this quote in particular. But let's just touch on that. I feel the social commentary for friends don't let friends don't let friends is about helping your friend. And we all know that sometimes helping your friend could get you in trouble. It could be on social media. And who has not seen a Facebook war between friends and somebody, a third party, just comes in defending that one friend without A, either mind your fucking business or it's not your business anyway. But that's, yeah, that's, that's society today. I'm, I'm so curious. I can't wait for this to friends don't let friends to come out. Stay tuned for DK Mag. Of course, we're going to have a screener review coming soon. We're going to review this film and uh, give it our two cents. I'm just curious. I would, who the fuck owns hands like that? Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I would have to refer them to my wife, the nail technician. She'll polish those babies up, make your skin look smooth and her nails look fine. Dogged gets U.S. distribution. Dogged is a film that we have been covering here at DK Mag for quite some time now. How long? We've been our first uh, coverage for Dogged began in March 2016. Wow, how time flies! And let me tell you, all this time I have been mispronouncing the title for this film. I was saying dog. It is dogged. And this film is from the filmmaker Richard Roundtree. And you could catch our exclusive interview with Mr. Roundtree in DK Mag Podcast Season 5, Episode 9. And as I had mentioned, we've been covering dogged for some time. We began with our crowdfunding. We covered the crowdfunding stage. We covered the principal photography, which began in August 2016. Then from there, we covered the debut teaser trailer, which unveiled in December 2016. And finally, the film, we got a chance to review the film. And this is one of those instances that you are eagerly awaiting for that production to release so that way you could watch it 
It's like Christmas time, you're waiting for that PlayStation to be underneath that tree. This was my PlayStation, I tell you, I was looking forward to watching this film. And be sure, go to DKMag, D-E-C-A-Y-M-A-G.com, where I conducted a film review for Dogit. And here is the synopsis for Dogit. When Sam returns home to the tidal island where he grew up to attend a funeral, he soon discovers that the seedy underbelly of this small community harbors more than just a few secrets. This is a psychological thriller. At first, I watched this film three times for my review and in the first viewing, psychological thriller. I don't know who would miss that point. Hey, I don't know. They're probably watching another film. But don't miss this film. I'm telling you, this is a real good film. It runs in one hour and 56 minutes. And when I say don't miss this film, it's because we are providing another scoop. Dogged just got acquired by Left Films for distribution in North America, the UK, and Erie. That is great news. Here's a little backstory for the film Dogged. It was adapted from an award-winning short film from the same title, created by Richard Roundtree. And once the film went into film festival circulation, it went on to win Best International Horror Feature at Buffalo Dreams Fantastic Film Festival, Best Horror Feature at Glasgow Horror Fest, Best Horror Feature and Best Actor in a Feature Film at the Shauna Shea Memorial Film Festival, and Best Producers at San Antonio Horrific Film Festival. This does not include the slate of official selections at festivals across the globe. As I mentioned, Left Field will be distributing this psychological horror film. And according to the press release, this makes our day. They include some quotes from horror news outlets and we make the cut they used one of the quotes for my review for this film and it is this quote 2017's best indie psychological thriller unquote yes so as i had mentioned don't miss this film it is a great treat with a twist ending that you are surely uh, going to appreciate. Crocodilus premieres for charities. Crocodilus will be making its premiere on the 3rd of December at Mount Dora, Florida. The time would be 6 p.m. This is a red carpet premiere and what sets this apart from the typical uh, red carpet premiere is that all the proceeds will be donated to Mount Dora 
charities that is fantastic now i could see the irony it, because crocodilus is a creature feature about a giant killer crocodile the irony is perhaps one of the charities would be to save the crocodiles huh. picture that anyway the synopsis for crocodilus reads as follows a dark secret is unearthed by a local farmer local paleontologist reveals it is the remains of a prehistoric monster crocodilus its triple seal has been broken unleashing terror upon the local townspeople i'm unsure if there's a typo here it's supposed to read its terrible seal has been broken but that is on imdb.com the director is miles erfurth and he also serves as writer michael mclaren also serves as co-writer i enjoy creature features that are grounded with a realistic base this particular film is not a cryptozoological theme we have in fact been seeing a number of monstrous crocodiles in and around florida that's no surprise and there's also some monstrous snakes anacondas and yeah it's turning into a wicked jungle out there keep your poodles and your small pets indoors in any event well they're my both crocodiles and snakes i love them i would move to florida just to see them walk across my lawn i have small pets i would keep them indoors of course but hey that's a if you treat those animals nicely they're not gonna bother you that's their land first that's my opinion anyway december 3rd 6 p.m mount dora florida we'll be providing the link where you could get your tickets if you're in the area and keep in mind all proceeds for this red carpet premiere goes to a worthy cause mount dora charities and perhaps they could save the crocodiles we don't know it's a collective of charities we have covered crocodilus uh before we had conducted a trailer first impressions that was back in august 2017 so be sure to visit dkmag d-e-c-a-y-m-a-g dot com and read up on our first impressions the title of our article is crocodilus indie creature feature set to release fall 2017 looks like they're right on track for their release Exclusive interview. Let's play Dead Girl Roundtable interview. It's just one little sacrifice. But tomorrow we'll be with him holding his hands.
At the top of the hour, I introduced the roundtable interview for the film Let's Play Dead Girl. This is a short film which is currently in film festival circulation for the 2017 calendar year. The film is written and directed by Christian Alexander Moran. And personally, I enjoy this film because as I had mentioned at the top of the hour, the there are many horror films that state inspired by true events and you would begin to question what events are you talking about but that's not the case with this film this is actually based inspired by a true story and for those who are unaware this true story is surrounding the urban legend from the creepy pasta story Slenderman. But Slenderman is reimagined in Let's Play Dead Girl and he goes by the name Alto for those who are uh, non-Spanish speaking audience. Alto means tall and uh, yeah this creature does look tall in this film. Joining me in this round table is actress Yesenia Rivas, she portrays the role of Josephine. Laura Guzman, she portrays the role of Consuelo. And Tomas Berglund, he portrays the role of Andrew slash Alto. This is a Latino driven film. It uh, is from the cast, you could just check it out on INDB. Full or close to full Latino cast, you have Latino director, writer, this is very powerful story and it definitely hits home it doesn't have that fairy tale caucasian fantasy that you normally see in horror films you can see it was filmed in an urban setting i'm not using the word urban as uh in a bad context no urban meaning city for those of you who are very politically correct with each syllable that is being spit and uh, across whatever media that you listen to. So, without further ado, here is our roundtable interview with the cast of Let's Play Dead Girl and director-writer Christian Alexander Moran. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Ken Artu's founder for DK Mag, and welcome to our roundtable discussion for the film Let's Play Dead Girl. The film is currently in film festival circulation for 2017. It's screened at the Women in Horror Film Festival and it was also a finalist. The film has accumulated 26 nominations and has won 15 awards including Best Picture, Best Film, Best New Jersey Drama, Best Horror, to name a few. Joining me in this roundtable discussion is actress Diesenia Sabrina Rivas. She portrays the role of Josephine. We have the antagonist, Alto, portrayed by Thomas Berglund. And we have Cons uh, the character Consuelo, She's portrayed by actress Laura Guzman. And also joining us on this conversation is director, writer, 
Christian A. Moran. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you for your time. Uh, I have questions across the board uh, as generalized questions for everyone. Uh, so when you answer the question, just uh, say your first name so that way we know who is who is uh, answering the question. Okay. <laughs> Great. And Let's Play Dead Girl touches on a true story. From my interpretation, the film delves on one of the aspects that has to do with obsession, beginning with director Christian Moran, and we'll uh, go down the, the aisle. What was your interpretation on this obsession for this uh, mystical creature, and how does that pertain to real-life scenarios? Uh, well, you know, I think uh, we, uh, um, I think it's a generation thing, uh, you know, where a lot of people are very obsessed with, you know, I, I guess you would say, you know, like the iPhones and, you know, having the that phone is part of now your, let's say, your left hand, and you need all the information from it. So it's become like an obsession to just, you know, gravitates towards updating your social media and stuff like that. And, you know, Slenderman is like uh, our, uh, uh, this generation's Freddy Krueger jason and stuff like that and so you know a lot of uh, you know it's one of those questions you, a lot of the kids you ask them who Slenderman is and they can respond but somebody in let's say my generation group of you know generation x and you ask them who Slenderman is and they don't know so it's you know one of those uh, things that you know intrigues me it's like okay let me dive into this generation's uh boogeyman obsessions Yeah, um, so Yesenia, I guess I'll go next. Um, for me, the obsession, especially with like Josephine, is this idea that there's always something better. And it pertains again to like the social media, this idea that something we see online is so much better than what we have. And so we're constantly striving to, you know, like take the picture, like all those people um, that are that have thousands of followers on Instagram. And it's this idea that once you become popular on social media, like your life is important and it matters. And I think especially for my character, Josephine, that was really important for her to feel like she mattered and that that there was someone and something out there that cared about her and that would make her better than where she was at currently. Hey, this is Laura. Um, Piggybacking on both Christian and Yesenia, um, I think it's also about the obsession of fitting in and feeling wanted, feeling, um, like Yesenia said, important and just clinging on to something that uh, gives them value and hope for a better life. Um, and I know for my character, Consuelo, it was very important for her to fit in and just have this group of friends that understood her and that she understood and it made everything better because they were in it together. And Mr. Tomas. Yes, you know, it's a really easy thing to uh, uh, fall into something that you feel like. If you fall into a group that you feel drawn to, uh, you get sort of kind of caught up in the moment. And uh, you can do crazy things in that moment. And, uh, you know, any sort of leader or uh, light can draw you in and it can be a 
a positive light or a negative light, and it can make you do some weird things. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and with the topic on social media, which is a big component in the film, I, for once, uh, was hesitant at first to join social media, Twitter, Facebook, but now I see the importance of it because it's a double-edged sword. You have the teenagers who want to be popular, but you also have business such as ourselves because filmmaking <laughs> is a business that we need social media to project our project free of charge to the public. So on the flip side, what is everybody's opinion on using social media for the greater good? Beginning with Christian. For the greater good? <laughs> well, <laughs> it, well, it's it's kind of hard uh, to tell you if it's for the greater good because you know like, uh, we're we're in a time where uh, you know like there's you know uh, there's like those you know um, those facts that are not true going around, so you get bombarded. But as far as business wise, um, in the movie industry, you know like uh, you know I've done a lot of casting and a lot of casting right now. You know, it's kind of like we're in a weird transition where casting agents are telling me to, you know, do a background check on their social media. And, you know, some of the actors have to have like a 50K followers average and stuff like that. And even I, you know, as a young director um, going to interviews and stuff like that, they're checking my, you know, my following. And, oh, you know, you're, you know, you don't have as much followers. So we're in this uh, transition of, you know, we're kind of like picking picking you know uh, uh uh individuals that have uh social followings rather than talent mm. and it's that there's that you know that double-edged story you were talking about it's right now the pressure of being a director and picking a, a cast you know uh it, it's become much harder because it's uh you know like i you know it's like it deals with finance in a way you know like i have i gotta make sure like now uh, a cast member has a huge following so that way you know i can sell the movie to somebody you know and or you know find some sort of finance of it so you know as far as social media you know i'm all for it and stuff like that but you know the you know just the the fact that you know people are looking for that you have th this amount of followers behind it is kind of ridiculous to me mm. that's it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So he sent me again. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with everything that Christian said. And I think also, I mean, if we're talking about the greater good, one of the like basic things for me, like the reason I love social media is because I am from Texas, but I live in New York. So it really helps me be able to stay connected with my family much more easily. You know, like I get to see photos of my nieces and nephews. They get to see photos of me, what I'm doing. They get to see like clips of things I'm in. So it, it helps connect that. And then I also think um, in terms of like, we know it's a, it's a really troubled time right now, especially with our government and um, things that are being said about that. And it can get pretty, pretty depressing and negative when you see who's in charge. But then when you do see um, all these celebrities coming together and posting on their social media about how they're going to um, make funds, you know, and, and have uh, donations to Puerto Rico or to Houston or to places that are that are being ignored by the government um, and to issues that are being ignored by the government, you know, and, and like recently the whole 
me too um, hashtag that was going on, you know, and it was it was a really wonderful way to to join together and feel like you're not alone and then just start doing something to start taking action and to see that these people in power who might not be in our government are still taking action and doing things on their own, which can then inspire other people who might not know what to do or might not know um, where they can lend a hand out to. Um, it's great to see that social media takes that route. Um, but then I do agree with what Christian said in terms of like when you're not a celebrity or you don't have the thousands of followers, it does make it kind of hard because you'll go on to um, these auditions and these things and they'll say themselves, like want a name talent, like must have so many followers. And I mean, you can try and post as much as you want, but there are people who have more resources to make their social media <laughs> into, you know, this this big, great 500 million followers, whereas, like, I'm a recently graduated grad student trying to <laughs> survive, make a living, and, you know, so, so it has that, it has that sense of a way to, um, I mean, I have, like, a professional Instagram, and that's great, because it does help me get, like, modeling jobs, but then it's also, it, it it's, like, it almost plateaus when you're at a certain point if you don't have more resources to to pay your way up into the social media rankings. Interesting points. Hey, it's Laura. Um, I have, I feel like I could talk about this all day, um, <laughs> but I feel like, of course, there's an upside and a downside to social media um, from everything from like fake news to um the type of bullying that goes on on social media. And I think also that people have to be really careful about not getting caught up with what they see on social media. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people are using filters and all these kind of things to make themselves, you know, I think people on social media only portray their best selves and especially for the younger audiences, you know, the teenagers and younger um, who hold themselves up to a standard that they see on social media and you know 90% of the time it's not realistic or you know mm -hmm. if you're seeing someone who's constantly you know just posting I just I don't see people posting like you know the negative side of their lives so I feel like for younger audiences who are just seeing all these positives it's really hard for them to be at peace with their own life because they are comparing themselves to this perfect image that doesn't exist um, in terms of, you know, casting and people wanting you to have a certain amount of followers, I've definitely seen it a lot as well. And it's something that I've just sort of stopped obsessing about because I feel like Yesenia said, you know, you can post and you can do all these things, but you, you may not have those resources to, you know, gain all these followers. Um, and so it's really it's really tricky. But what I've just told myself is, you know, I'd rather just focus on my craft and, you know, hopefully eventually the followers will come. But I feel like I find peace in just focusing on my craft and knowing that eventually something good will come from that. Very interesting. Yeah, Thomas here. Yes. I think Laura made a good point about um, the young America being influenced mm -hmm. by social media. It's it's such a, a, a an important 
part of life for a lot of young Americans, and it's very influential. And if you get caught up in, I think young people have a lot of influence that can be made on them. And so if they see their friends or their celebrity doing something on social media, that's going to be what's really uh, um, convincing to them. And so in in the film, uh, these girls have see this community online, and it's really drawing them in. And they are young; they're in in middle school, uh, 13, 12, 13, 14. and uh, that's a time of people's lives where they are can be swayed to make some decisions. And uh, I think so. This film um, not only it reflects real life, but it um, it, it um, describes real life too. There's a lot of young people that can relate to that, and so yeah, it's very powerful social media. Thank you, everyone. Uh, this is very enlightening, especially uh, the input from Christiana. That I did not know that uh, having that many followers was a necessity in getting casting. That is so surprising. It, it, it's one of those things. I, I do a lot of research on the, on the you know, on the, uh, on the numbers. I'm a very numbers guy. And, you know, it's like, uh, like within the whole summer, there's a whole bunch of media camps that opened up. And those young kids that are around the ages of, you know, let's say uh, eight years old to 13 years old are already averaging those type of numbers and that are going to those media camps so just imagine when they're like 18 and they're hitting the you know the actors world or whatever media thing they're doing the youtubers and stuff like that you know those numbers that are that are acquiring they're very high so estimated from you know from five years from now so it's you know it's one of those things that i i myself as a filmmaker that is kind of like uh also trying to do an independent label type of thing for, for my films, uh, I have to look at it and see how to how to capitalize and promote myself in, in those, you know, and, and in a way I'm like competing versus the YouTubers type of thing, and I have to figure out a way how to compete with them. Exactly. Wow, amazing. And another point that was brought up in this discussion, I believe it was Desenia, uh about uh, seeing the negative in in life. And that, that also applies to business, because if you go to YouTube, you see these guys flashing the money, flashing the cars, but they don't show the grind, because uh, from a creative aspect, everyone from artists to filmmakers have to have a daily grind in order to climb that ladder, secure roles, uh, become a, a film director. It's easy to portray that that glamour without the work that gets put into it so a lot thank you this is very insightful information from across the board thanks yeah. <clears throat> uh so another another play into let's play dead girl is the supernatural element and as we all know we have the slender man uh concept here uh, uh coming from this approach using the slender man as opposed to other urban legend creatures what was the focus on this particular character that does resonate with this younger generation and the fear, Im the impact of fear that he projects? 
Christian? <laughs> um, well, uh, let's see. I, I, it's, it's well for me. Uh, I thought the, the intriguing of that the Slender Man doesn't have a face. You know, uh, you know that's what intrigued me. It was like, uh, why do these kids are uh, like this uh, creature, this very tall creature, uh, man-looking thing in a suit, out of all things, <laughs> um, with no face. And you know, it's something that um, in the early early stages I, I dove into it, and you know, uh, it, it just became this like. Uh, I, I, to me, it felt like that this, we're going through a generation with a, an identity crisis. But as more and more I dove into, uh, the, I guess, the character on my side, writing the character of Slenderman Alto and stuff like that, it became more of a mental thing, a mental state of, you know, of, of having a fear that's, uh, that you yourself believe is there, but um, doesn't exist to the, to the world. But there's a strong connection within your generational community that understands it, and I, I think that that's was more of my intrigue with the character. Like, I like, uh, um, and I think the, uh, I guess I think Thomas could talk to you more about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was there. <laughs> I knew he was gonna say that. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> well. well you know, I think you made a good point, Christian, about how he doesn't have a face, because that is how people can sort of project their feelings onto this character. You know, he doesn't really exist in the film. He exists sometimes, but then he doesn't really exist. And so in people's minds, they're able to sort of, I don't know, use their feelings to make a point, um, even when there's nobody there. And so this um, so this canvas of a character um, allows people to just sort of, I don't know, it, whatever they want to feel, they can feel with this Slender Man. And uh, yeah, it's um, because it doesn't really have an identity. It's sort of just, uh, um, we, it, it's blank, but also sterile. I feel like Slender Man has the suit and he's just very... Uh, dry he doesn't move very quickly he just sort of is there lurks he's a lurker and uh, just sort of it, it sort of doesn't do a lot so you can determine what he is and so these girls in the film they really uh, um, make him out to be uh, almost like a godlike character and uh, even though he's just a blank face in a suit and so yeah, I think he's. I, I think he's a good character to, 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 be influenced by because he can be anything essentially. Yeah, um, this is Tanya. I agree one hundred percent. Especially like as we see in the film, like our all our characters see Alto, the Slenderman character, differently. Like my version is in this black suit, like very dark, very very mysterious, and then. Um, but he's also seen in this like foresty version, you know, flowing and lots of twigs and vines and stuff. Um, and I think, and also as we were talking about, like with the social media, the whole idea of Slenderman attracts to the younger audience because they already are so much on the computer. And, and this character comes from a computer, you know, like that's how 
you find him. That's how you get him. That's how you're first introduced into him. Um, um, so I think that's like the, the almost appeal to it because as, like, as I said, I have nieces and nephews and they are always on their iPads. Like always my youngest one is one years old, one year and something. And then the oldest nephew is 16 and all of them are on their iPads and phones, like equal amounts. So it's just kind of, I feel that like you go into, if you're on the computer and internet so much, you go into these deep, dark places, you know, cause you can, you keep exploring and you keep going further and further and further. And it's this entity that you found there at the place that's so wonderful, but then you also see it's deep, dark and mysterious. And I think that that's really drawing it. And, and as you, you might see in movies that are coming out now, there's a lot more horror movies that are based off of spirits coming from social media. Um, and I think like Christian really hit on this early and found it and, and brought it into, into this movie. And I think that's, that's part of it. You know, it's like they were saying, he can be whatever you want him to be. And it's this lore that, you know, we all kind of, we don't want to be scared, but we also want to see what's more and what's there. And that's what draws you to him because you just, you want to know more on this thing in this place that you love and you found something so dark there. But then you think, oh, it can't really hurt you because it's through an internet. You know, it's not real life until that part of your brain switches and you start blurring the two. And hey, this is Laura. Um, yes, I agree with everything that's basically been said. And, you know, I also really agree with the point that, or the fact that Slenderman or Alto in our film left up to your imagination. And even as a viewer, um, it's left, left up to your imagination um, of this character, who this character is capable of, um, how this character sort of affect you as a person so it's different and individual for every single person um and i think that that's really cool because it's not just one image of what this character can be it's pretty much any image that you identify with or that you see on the screen and then again back to social media um just to reiterate what yesenia already said i think that's really a big just a big piece of appeal for the audience because we're all pretty much consumed by social media, by the internet, by, you know, all these posts and just this overload of information that you can't really escape it, it seems. It's just so much information coming at you at once. And then I feel, you know, in the film, our characters, they have so much going on in their personal lives and their home lives. And then this is their escape. Uh, which I think in real life for most people, the internet serves as an escape, whether it's watching YouTube videos or playing video games or posting on social media all the time. Um, I think that's one of the ways that the viewer will identify with us. That is absolutely true. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, one quick question for just uh, uh, Christian. Uh, my curiosity with uh, the character Alto, is that a play? Because Alto is Spanish for tall. So did, was that the play for the name of this character? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was just part of like, you know, uh, 
when I, when I initially started writing it, um, it was I, I wanted to make it my own, and the way best way to make it my own is you know to to put it my you know like make it very uh, Latino, you know, and I, I you know it's like uh, from you know, and it's one of the things is like uh, I was like okay, so our boogeyman is gonna be called Alto. So very simple. Let's get it out of the way type of thing. That is awesome. I, 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 as soon as I read the synopsis, I'm like, hey, that's a that's a clever play. Very good. Well done. <laughs> uh, so for this next question across the board, we talked about social networking. We talked about the creature, Alto. Uh, Slender Man, as it has been emphasized, is faceless. In my interpretation, while watching the film, and uh, also recalling uh, high school years, God damn, I, I won't even forget that. Uh, every in every child who is not in the quote unquote clique is a faceless uh, individual, and they project their uh, personality on social media now. But back then in the day, there was no such outlet. Does this creature symbolize? in a social commentary type of way how teenagers are growing up in today's society starting with christian um uh, i would say i would say in a way yeah because you know it's like I'll, I'll, um when i made it my own when i was starting right uh, uh writing the story you know a lot of the things that uh incorporated that i you know i was bullied for about a year um, in a way, in my high, very first freshman year of high school, and I was bullied in a way that every day I was asked to be to join a gang, and I had guns put in my face, axes in my throat, um, you know, and just getting beat up every day. So it, it was for a year. So in a, in a, within that within that year, everybody I went to had like a you know like a weird solution. Like I would go to a police officer and ask, hey, tell him, hey, I, I need some help. And he would teach me how to fight. You know? Or I would go to, you know, like a cousin, a family member. And he would say, you know, like, uh, go to your guidance counselor. And I'm like, oh, can't you help me? And then um, I would go to the guidance counselor. And the guidance counselor actually mocked me because I couldn't defend myself. And it's just one of those things that, you know, uh, I, I, as the writer, kind of like projected because at the time I felt that, you know, I didn't have a face. I didn't have a, a, a voice. I was falling through the cracks of a system. So when, I, you know, I started writing Josephine and Judah, it just became that, you know, you know these are kids that are you know, being beaten by their, you know, with Josephine being beaten by her family, neglect, and, um, and a girl that just, you know, kind of with Consuelo, a girl that I always felt that she just moved into the neighborhood. It was just trying to fit in and belong. And and I was like, okay, these are kids that are somehow in some way neglected that doesn't have a voice and they're trying to find it. And you know, that and I and I feel that this generation is also the kind of like the same way, you know, like uh, we kinda hide like behind a computer with real no identity, only our words that, you know, makes this like person, you know, through chat rooms, you know, when we're talking in chat rooms. We really don't know who the person we're talking to only by their only their only identity or the words that they're saying. But do we know, really know how they look, how they really are, and stuff like that? So I, I kind of feel like uh, uh, um, my connection, my generation, kind of connects with this one. Thank you. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, oh, wait, what? Okay. Um, so, you Sonia, again. Yeah, I agree. Um, this idea of being, like, faceless is really interesting, especially, like, so, so this movie is about young girls, young girls in, like, junior high. Um, and if you look at young girls, or a, a lot of them, you know, um, today, their faces are just like covered in makeup and, and they're doing, they're wearing the latest trends and they're constantly shopping and, and they spend hours doing their hair. And like, I'm not, I'm not judging anyone. Like if that's what makes them happy, that's fine. Like live your life, do your thing. But I was, I've been talking to some people and it's so interesting. I was talking to this makeup artist and she goes, it's really interesting to see these young girls trying to do their makeup exactly like people that they see on YouTube, like the YouTube artists, and not learning their own face. They just learn how to make the makeup up in the way that it's done on this person that they admire. And so they try to create their face to look exactly like someone that they admire, rather than learning their own features, learning their own face, their tones, what makes them themselves, rather than like covering themselves completely and looking like someone else. Which is, and again, in a sense, trying to trying to fit in and trying to be the person not getting bullied, to be the person that's cool, that's liked, that that has all the friends, that has this again this idea. It's like Laura was talking about, like you have this perfect life and you're not struggling, everything's great. Um, and in trying to look like everyone else, you become you don't become you're not yourself. You lose your own identity, and so you become faceless, which I think is really. Uh, and it, again, it happens to both genders, but as the film focuses on, on young women, it's really interesting to see that and to see that this um, Slender Man, also a creature that they admire, has no face and is still so beautiful because there's no, there's nothing that distinguishes it. It's just this solidness that I think a lot of young girls try to aim for. They try to aim for this solid thing that they know is already like, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Next up. Hey, this is Laura again. Um, again, I think it's about <clears throat> an escape, um, just finding something to hold on to, something that um, can provide that escape, and also something that's sort of perfect in their mind. So I feel like if this also has no face, um, each of the characters can create a face for him and create their own reality. So it's almost, almost perfect in the guise of, of whoever's watching, whoever's seeing them, they're creating them in, in their own mind. Um, and it's just the whole, you know, from them actually also to the community that they have online and the forum and the boards where they go in to chat with the community. Um, it's just a great escape for them to escape from their lives at home. Thank you. <clears throat> and Tomas? Yeah, I think it's interesting. <clears throat> um, the generational things, um, uh, children, you know, 10, 15 years ago, before uh, cell phones before a smartphone where it was more of a community you actually had to talk to people um, in person with your friends or in a chat room on the computer and so it's I, it's interesting to see that 
just knowing who you're with and who you're chatting with um, uh, can really influence you. And so it, it I can imagine how being bullied would um, absolutely affect your behavior and um, influence who you hang out with. Because for a lot of children or younger people in middle school, their friends are their most important thing and who they're with. And uh, and so I think the film being on a computer versus uh, so in the film, the girls are in a chat room and it's all on, on their computers. And, um, and their community is what they found. They found something to be connected to. And uh, instead of it's, it's a versus like a cell phone in your pocket, it's more of a group of people. I'm not, you, 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 you get what I'm saying, right? About how, yeah. yes, absolutely. I, it, yeah. And so uh, it's, um, uh, it's more of the idea of who you're with. Um, and uh, I think it's important. It's very, very powerful. Exactly. Yeah, and this is Laura again. I just want to piggyback off of what Thomas said in terms of friends doing everything for girls at that age or, you know, just kids at that age. Um, especially for Consuelo, we see how she, you know, is just really, really longing to belong, really longing for, you know, those friends. She even says in the film to her mom, that she wants friends, just how she had friends growing up who were always there for her and who she could always confide in. Um, and I think, you know, being so young at that age, you're easily influenced um, and you're also just really longing to belong. So. Yeah, it's... Yep. Um, so this is Yusenia again. Just to kind of add on, I think also it's, um, as they're saying, like, friends are so important, and when you're at that age, also, um, you know, you start getting interested in in dating and relationships, and I think it's really interesting that um, Christian kept Alto as, well, obviously, we know Alto as a creature, but we constantly refer to him as a him, as a he, as a male, mm-hmm. which is just really also interesting because all three of these girls, or especially Judah and Josephine, are... Um, trying to please this authority male figure rather than it being like a a woman figure that we're trying to grow up to be or like we're not trying to become necessarily alto or we say we'll be his proxy of course but it's like we're trying to please this this man this male this figure which is also you know at that young age you're still figuring everything out but you know guys in a heteronormative sense guys are the important thing you know like that's what you're you're aiming for um you want their approval as well so it's not only that we want the approval of ourselves and like our peers but we somehow need to please this masculine authoritative figure as well and to piggyback on that yesenia you just took my next question (laughs) oh (laughs) i was going to delve into that uh and uh, yeah, it's absolutely true how in today's society, young girls are always fixated on this uh, uh, trying to please uh, the male role figure and, and with horror, how we have developed now, uh, the, now we have uh, strong female leads 
which I'm 100% uh, uh, backing as opposed to back in the 70s the, the women were more submissive and they'll fall mm-hmm. they'll run through the jungle fall and then you know you have the killers slashing them up so we've come a long way <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've come a long yeah. way uh, but unfortunately it's still prevalent in in the society where kids are growing up and they they trying to get to that next character mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> also uh, f- this question is for Tomas uh, before I do the general question uh, how how did you port- come into the role of playing this a character alto this type of character is more of the his action speaks louder than his words and that is a very complex acting to portray because you have the michael myers you have the jason and it's just the demeanor the walk the the strut how did you approach this role well it's really a, a a portrayal of the girl's thoughts. It's it's almost how how would you think that they would want to see you? Because this is their world. This is their um, uh, also that they created. This is the um, uh, that they created. And so uh, you know you want to be able to uh, be convincing to the girls almost. That's what I want. I would want to be able to uh, make them believe that I'm real because that's what that's what they want. They want they really want this alto character to be real to make themselves happy. And so, uh, um, uh, you know, I was just watching it, the remake of the movie it, and um, uh, and he really convinces the kids to believe in him, and they want to believe in him because a lot of people have drive just to believe in something and so to be able to uh almost like project their feelings they're um uh, you're looking for something to uh, draw them in and but have them be comfortable they're looking for you and so what i was wanting to do is just connect with the girls in a really creepy way i guess (laughs) (laughs) Um, because because i'm trying to um, lure them into the cult that I, <laughs> this world. Um, but in a, in a comforting way, really, they just wanted to be comforted. They wanted to find their, their, um, their community. And, um, so I was just looking for, um, to be a leader for them. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that, uh, he's one creepy guy. I, I see looking at footage from, <laughs> especially in one scene that he's just, um, creeping up from uh, I guess uh, in the forest scene uh, in, in Act Two, uh, uh-huh. well actually Act Three, uh, you you <clears throat> crouching up in the forest. <clears throat> That's creepy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it it was really cold. I'll tell you that much. And uh, I was wearing a, um, a diaper essentially. So um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> interesting scene. <laughs> uh, so we all know Let's Play Dead Girl it has that um, based on a true story which this scenario actually did happen but what I find uh, a pleasure in watching this film is the multicultural 
caste and the element to it. You have Latinos, you have uh, Asian American uh, persons of color. How is what is your opinion on the advancements of us as as a cultural group advancing in not only in film but in horror as well? Starting with Christian. Um. Well, I you know as I I you know I would like to be very positive about it that you know that I I've gone to tons of film festivals I've seen a lot of uh um, you know um people of color uh directors and you know also women uh um, you know uh you know making uh making the, their films but you know it's one of those things that I still feel that as far as the industry they're so way behind. You know, it's like it's 2017, you know, and I would have expected that, you know, we, would, you know, there would be more diversity uh, in our movies and our te television and everything, you know, like behind the camera, the, I think the, what was it, the 20, I think it was 2014 numbers were that uh, Latinos were only 6% in the industry, you know, and that's really bad. That is. You know, yeah. it's really, really bad. And, you know, uh, it it seems like you know the 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 Latinos are are disappearing from media, and you know that's where worrisome because you know I'm a Latino in the industry and stuff like that, and you know uh, um, and that that's kind of terrifying, and you know I you know I tried as much as help you know I'm very like let's say a filmmaker that would go out to you know find other filmmakers and uh, that are Latino and try to help them out. You know, to you know, because it, it's starting to feel like I'm alone, you know, and uh, uh, um, and you know, as far as horror on, on their self, I am seeing you know uh, diversity on screen within the horror, but I, I just feel like there's got to be a, a bigger push, a bigger push because when you go down to like to say uh, um, down south and stuff like that, you don't see that diversity as much. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I could go on like this, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So it's again. Um. I think it's just it is important for us to continue to expand in every genre because, like in life, we're at every corner. You know, there's not we're in every every class, every like every social class, every every aspect of the world, there's multiple people there. It's not just, you know, restricted to one type of person or one to one race, one ethnicity. So people, you know, horror movies, they, I'm going to be honest, it's really hard for me to watch horror movies. I can be in them, but watching them is really, is really difficult. But, you know, I see like my cousins and friends and, you know, and, and they love horror movies, you know, like Halloween time comes around as well and they just like get really big. And I think it's just as important to see people like yourselves on the screen and then not becoming the um, the classic, oh, the person of color is the first one to die and only the white people survive, you know? When you have a horror film that has a multi-ethnic cast, you know, and, and it's all of us, you know, like we are the bad guys, we're the good guys, we're the troubled souls, we're the, the lovers, you know, then it makes it much more real and it goes away from these stereotypes or from from just playing the same story over and over again. And then we finally get to see real life, a real scary life. And, and like this story isn't just 
a tale, you know, it's, it's based off of something that really happened. So it's wonderful when you get to put multiple ethnicities onto a film like this together and to show like this happens to everyone and, and everyone can find a way to relate into it because they can see themselves in this film and, and it makes them more aware. And, you know, my mom saw it and she was like, oh, wow, like this really makes me want to make sure that my nieces are being careful with what's being posted rather than just being like, oh, you know, like that only happens to people like this or that only happens to people like that. It um it opens it up for for more people to connect, even in even in a horror film, you know, and to and to have that fun and to see something that looks like you survive or something, you know, rather than always being killed off, even though my character does. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Laura. Um, I think the media in general is very very powerful. Um, you know what we see from me growing up what I saw on TV, what I saw in magazines, what I saw, you know, in movies really affects me in ways that probably shouldn't have, you know, not seeing myself um, portrayed, not seeing women who look like me in magazines or on TV or not seeing them, uh, you know, just seeing them playing roles that are stereotypical, like, Saved or you know battered women or um, things like that really affected me growing up, and so I know that when I look at roles that I want to take, I I always want them to mean something and to be inspirational, so that the younger generation can look up to my roles and see that you know they're they're not just going to be a high school dropout or you know, a single mom or, or, or something like that. I, these are the stereotypes that I grew up seeing on screen, TV, and film. Um, I think we're headed in a better direction. I, I don't think, you know, we're anywhere where we should be in terms mm-hmm. of opening up the playing field um, for actresses of color and just, you know, people of different ethnicities. Um, and I think, like Yesenia was saying, you know, there are women doctors, there are you know, people of colors who are doctors, who are astronauts. And that's what I think is so great about a movie like Hidden Figures, um, when they, you know, focus on these African American female scientists who helped um who helped uh NASA who helped them get to the moon for their, you know, first expedition. Yeah, they, they worked for NASA. And, you know, these are stories that we don't usually hear um, or that we don't usually see portrayed on the screen. They want to portray us as just one thing when we can be many, many things. And like you Sonia was saying, you know, these things can happen to anybody, no matter your your gender, no matter your, your race, your ethnicity. Um, so I, I think we're making some progress but we're nowhere where we need to be both for you know genders and ethnicity mm-hmm. i agree yeah it's it's true it's i i agree with a lot of like the stereotyping of mm-hmm. of cultures and uh you know like the center was saying and the first people that die in the movie are it's the black guy that dies first and uh you know to be able to have um, young uh, characters that are of different cultures. Um, uh, I think that's important because that's 
the real world that we live in. Now, I uh, it's we're uh, we're over just all these same people doing the same roles all the time. I think people are being more conscious of who we are as like uh, an American society, and uh, we're look, and we're looking for more more diversity in films, and I think it's a great thing. And to touch upon this topic right here, Yesenia, uh, you bring a, a, a very good point about how the stereotype issue, in my opinion, mm -hmm. this is my opinion, uh, I think the Latino community is setting itself back because every time I walk into the room and my wife is watching the telenovelas, they o we always have the same roles. Uh, the 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 poor girl goes with the rich guy. Then you got the narcotraficantes, and we portray yeah. ourselves in this way. So it's like, yeah, you want to progress, but yet you're perpetrating the same thought system. And if a young person is watching these telenovelas, they oh, this is what we are. And yeah, exactly. Amazing. Um, but I think also with the like, in the term of in the sense of like novellas, like I, I, I get it. It's the, the whole like the poor going through their thing. I know for a lot of people that's like their sense of escape, but then you have to look at who's creating that, you know, like if, is it the people in charge or is it the people, um, like the people watching, is that all they want to see or is that just what's being provided to them? Because um, I, I get to go to a lot of the inside the actor studio um, because I, I went to that school and And there was one actress, I, I won't say her name, but she said something. She was like, oh, you know, once the audience wants this and pushes for it, we start seeing more of what they want. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to argue with her a little bit. I mean, like, well, no, because people of color have wanted to see themselves in different roles for years, but it's not been provided to us until very recently. Whereas, like, the people who have the power who, and who are in those positions right now, they, they don't really want to give up their roles. They don't, they don't want... To, to lose to in quote unquote like lose their role to somebody who might actually like fit that part better i think it's also the sense of like we can keep pushing and wanting it but it's also those people up top have to be willing to to make room and we can we can barge our way in there but they still ultimately right now unfortunately hold the power they hold the money they own the companies i mean every single day i see this a new show coming out that's an all-white family or an all-white cast and all-white this with like a, maybe one or two people of color and they go oh look we're so diverse and then you get like one show like like Jane the Virgin which is amazing and it's wonderful and has a really strong Latino cast and, and many ethnicities but then they they bring in like six shows with with all-white cast so it's this kind yeah. of push and shove thing that like we're pushing here and we're like we want this we want this we want this but it's the people up top and in charge That, that aren't making the changes, you know, which is which is frustrating. It is. And um, one last comment. I, we could go on with this conversation, but the, uh, these are some great conversations. Um, someone once told me, um, I'm a Latino from the Bronx covering horror, and they found it surprising. What's so surprising about that? This is just because of the area I grew up with and because of my nationality. You find mm -hmm. so is this genre explicitly for Caucasians? So I'm uh, I was gonna get into a debate with the guy. So it's it's yeah. how society is. Is I hope we have some change in in the sooner mm -hmm. than later. <coughs> um, Agreed. 
to close it out uh this is the part where i asked the interviewees to come up with one i know this is going to be difficult this seems to be the difficult part of the interview process okay. to come up one question any question could be what's your favorite food what do you what are you going to cook for thanksgiving uh for the audience to answer uh beginning with christian and we go down the down the aisle the question for our audience to answer yes <laughs> what would you like the audience to answer <clears throat> Uh, just general or general like theme? anything you care to ask <laughs> that you're curious about <laughs> uh, curious about all right um, <laughs> uh, are you gonna watch uh, is the audience gonna watch a classic uh, horror movie while they're eating their Thanksgiving dinner or are they gonna watch a horror movie that has social commentary like get out Ooh. Ooh. A, that was a good one uh oh my god i don't know i don't have a question yet <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't feel bad that's usually the reaction <laughs> uh, uh, who's gonna go black friday shopping on thanksgiving <laughs> I don't know. Hey. That's all I can think about. <laughs> I'm not to answer that. I'm not. <laughs> um, what are three things you're grateful for? Ah, nice. Oh, that's a good one. Thanks, Darned man. it, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> and Thomas. Uh, um, uh, I I guess. Are you? going to go vegetarian on Thanksgiving. <laughs> wow, there you go. Can you do it? Oh, wow. <laughs> Watching that print in, 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 my, in my refrigerator, I'm going to say no on that. <laughs> uh, and this is the part also uh, to conclude our interview just uh share some social networking uh we were talking so bad about it but this is the part where we actually have to say something good about it uh share your social networking and where can uh, people catch let's play dead girl and any other projects that you want to just throw out there uh to market yourself and starting with christian all right, so uh, uh, for Let's Play Dead Girl, you can go to Facebook, um, Let's Play Dead Girl um, um, page, and there you'll you'll find you know our, everything that you need to know about Let's Play Dead Girl. And our next screening is at the Indie Film Night on Friday, December first at eight p.m. Uh, in New Jersey. So you know you got that, and then you got uh, Macabre Film um, Fairy Film Festival uh, during January twelfth to the fourteenth. You know, you can go up to their website to get ticket information, and it'll be in New York. So you know, you know, we'll be everywhere. So like that, and until you know, we just struck a, a distribution deal, so we should be uh, everywhere by sometime in 2018. Great. So you know, we'll, we'll be pushing it. But follow. Uh, let's play that girl. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay, um, so Yesenia, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Yesenia Rivas. And then also, I'm going to be in a play called La Gota Fria. 
written by Ana Capune and directed by Rick Bowett, uh, which is going up at the Thalia Spanish Theater November 30th through December 3rd. Um, the tickets are $18, and you can find us on Facebook at La Gota Fria. And it's a really fun play um, about a Latino family dealing with cancer. So, yeah, you guys should come and check that out. This is Laura Guzman. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at I am Laura Guzman. And I'm also on Facebook, Laura Guzman. And this is Thomas Berglund. You can give me on Instagram, thomas.berglund. Um, and also check out the Let's Play Dead Girl Facebook page because that's, that's where we're all at. <laughs> Well, thank you, um, everyone, for your time. I, I had more questions, but you know, when you're in, when you get engrossed in such great conversation, the time just goes by flying. And uh, yeah, this is this is wonderful, very insightful, especially everybody's points of view on social networking. I, I learned a lot, and um, and the film itself, uh, Christian. I ju- I just feel uh, I just had to add. Uh, guns pointed at your face. Where were you at Brooklyn when you were growing up? <laughs> I, I grew up in Queens, and I was being, I was, uh, I, I grew up in Queens, and I was being recruited by the Latin Kings, uh, Nietas. Uh huh. And they were quite big in, uh, in Queens at the time. You know, in all New York, they were quite big, big. So I was being recorded, recruited by them. Wow, that's stuff like that. I never got in there. I fought it for the whole year, but you know. It was just, you know, a tough year. That's that's insane. But I, I feel oh. you because I grew up in the same environment in the Bronx and, uh, you know, being bullied, uh, got into some bad fights. And I said, you know what? I can't do that and try to be passive uh, throughout the high school year. So I, I feel you for that. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your time. Uh have a happy Thanksgiving, happy New Year, and happy holidays. Uh, and congratulations on the success for Let's Play Dead Girl. It really resonated for me on multiple levels because being a Latino and the social commentary with the social networking, it definitely hits hits society uh, the way it should. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for Thank you so much. Exclusive interview, Buzzard Hollow Beef Roundtable interview. Man, your dad lives really far out. This is like deep, deep woods. There she is. Hey, Daddy. Got the whole family here for Thanksgiving, huh? Beef on Thanksgiving, it's a sacrilege. I care about what my son eats. Why are you all asking about the meat anyways? This is in Portland, all right? Not everyone's concerned about the animals' whole life stories. Buzzard Hollowed Beef. At the time of our interview, we just released on Amazon for rent or purchase, and is also available on iTunes. The film is... Here's the brief synopsis for the film. Jordan Vollmer, a recently divorced single mother, plans a relaxing Thanksgiving weekend with her family 
and her best friend Paige. As the group ventures into the small town of Buzzard Hollow, they are greeted with strange and unsavory characters known as the Solomon family. When the Vollmers experience hor horrific hallucinations, they suspect that the Solomons are somehow involved. Joining me for this uh, roundtable interview is director Joshua Johnson. He also serves as co-writer alongside Tara C. Hall. In my opinion, watching the film, it serves as a comedic horror piece of entertainment, but it also has that underlying social commentary. And in my opinion, it treks on food contamination, especially Monsanto, Whole Foods. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google it, how customers are paying full price they are paying for quote-unquote organic foods which is not organic because it's coming from Monsanto and that is just genetically grown produced and marketed fruits and vegetables now without getting too political buzzard hollowed beef is a great film to watch definitely has those moments that are on it especially the ending is definitely unexpected and if you want to know some more insights of the film uh the, the cinematography and other elements do listen to the interview but also check out our film review which is live on dk mag website that is d-e-c-a-y-m-a-g.com Beginning with the Women in Horror Film Festival, here are a few awards and nominations that Buzzard Hollow Beef has earned during its film festival circulation. At the Women in Horror Film Festival 2017, Buzzard Hollow Beef was nominated for the Lizzie Award for Best Feature Film and Best Musical Score. At the Fantastic Horror Film Festival at San Diego 2017, Buzzard Hollow Beef was nominated for the Fantastic Award for Best Supporting Actor in a Feature Film, Best Supporting Actress in a Feature Film, and Best Special Effects. It won the Fantastic Award for Best Special Effects in a Feature Film, Best Feature Film, and Best Actress in a Feature Film. For the American Horror Film Festival 2017, Buzzard Hollowed Beef was nominated for Best Film. And without further ado, here is our interview with director Joshua Johnson, co-writer and co-writer Tara C. Hall. My name is Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag. Joining me for this roundtable discussion are co-writers Tara C. Hall and Joshua Johnson. Joshua Johnson also served as director, and we're going to be discussing the feature film Buzzard Hollow Beef, which is currently making its film festival run in 2017. Thank you, everyone, for your time for this interview. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. As a matter of fact, we, um, 
We just uh, we just launched on Amazon, iTunes, I, and Google Play. Just today. Oh. And I'm about, I'm sitting here uh, going through the soundtrack because I created the soundtrack as well, and I'm I'm trying to upload it onto Spotify and iTunes today as well. So that those are both available uh, for wide uh, viewing. Yeah. Everybody's everybody's available to watch it now. We have one more festival left, but um, they're not bothered by the fact that we can all see it on TV. <laughs> ah, good. Congratulations! This is uh, amazing news to kick off our interview. Yeah, yeah it's pretty. You. Yeah, we yeah. just found out too, and it, it feels very good. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, I, I know that feeling uh, when your project uh, launches, because for us, we just uh, launched on Spotify. So I know the feeling we would, yay, you know, so congratulations well, that's for exciting. that. <laughs> Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. And um, an icebreaker question. Well, usually I'll say state your, state your name before answering the question, but I don't think the audience would have uh, difficulty differentiating between the two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I hope not. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, uh, the icebreaker question, buzzard hollowed beef. Uh, I'm going to read the synopsis. A psychedelic horror that follows a family who has been experiencing vivid hallucinations, believe that they have been poisoned by cannibalistic hillbillies. I think <laughs> it fits appropriate. This week is Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, uh, what do you guys, how did this, idea come together because I have not come across anything like this before. This is innovative. Oh, wow. Thank you. It was Josh's idea originally. Yeah, I, uh, uh, the, we had a, we took a trip down to North Carolina to visit some family and it was right around Thanksgiving. It wasn't quite Thanksgiving. People were in that in between uh, Halloween and Thanksgiving time when uh you know uh people are kind of uh, winterizing everything's kind of turning into winter and we had a brand new baby who was uh maybe she was six months old or something and people were constantly trying to feed her uh strange food that we would never like i mean just diet coke and um you know hamburgers and things like that um, and I didn't really, I'm not really, I didn't really think of the people as like hillbillies or anything. Uh, they're all just regular people. Uh, but there was, yeah, there was definitely a, a divide in, in our culture, especially when it came to food. And then one particular moment really kind of sealed it. Yeah, there was a woman um, in, a, in a small town called Brasstown, uh, and she... I had my baby uh, in a, like a Bjorn, like a little baby carrier on my chest. And she saw her and she said, oh my God, your baby is so beautiful. And really like came at me and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and then she says to me, she goes, don't let anybody touch her. And I said, okay. And she goes, I'm serious. You know, like, 
are you listening to me? Don't let anybody touch you. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, um, And so I got the idea that maybe these people were trying to feed my baby and uh, fatten her up and maybe eat her, <laughs> um, something like that. And then it kind of turned into like what could they give her or give me that would make me hallucinate or think that, you know, uh, think that I, I, or make me realize that something was, was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So what could that, what could that thing be? And then on a trip to Hood River, uh, I got my answer. Um, there's a there's a brewery called Solera, and I'll give them a shout out because Solera Brewery is probably one of the best beers you'll ever have. Um, but you can only get it there in Hood River, and they take their beer outside uh, into the apple and cherry orchards that they have, and they let the um, wild yeast germinate on the top of the beer. Um, so. <laughs> I saw a contamination idea that could possibly, uh, you know, be something that would make people hallucinate. That, I, I, the only thought that I have Mm -hmm. for that scenario was how creative our minds work when we're in a creative field and situations like that happen and it, and the mind just runs in so many different directions and here we go we have buzzard hollowed beef just for that scenario yeah. that's amazing yes <laughs> our minds tend to go in very dark directions <laughs> and it's great <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. yeah yeah yeah, it's Thank wonderful. Uh, watching this film, I could not help but see that there is a social commentary being presented. And that's my interpretation. Being mm-hmm. the contamination of foods these days. And there's a lot of talk mm-hmm. in the quote-unquote uh, conspiracy theory field that we have companies like Monsanto contaminating our foods is this the approach um, when creating the film? Was this the social commentary that you guys were presenting? Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think that I think that um, one of the things that Tara and I both turned to each other at the end of the film, end of writing, and kind of before we started producing it, I said, you know, um, this film is like very anti-gun anti-beer, uh, anti-meat, like, are, we're not vegetarians and we're not, um, uh, we're not sober and, and we would shoot guns. We don't keep them at our house, but we're not really anti-hunting or anything. But uh, <laughs> the film is like a warning, I guess. Like, you should really, you should know where your food comes from. You should know, uh like you should you should not use a gun to defend yourself against another person um you should not really just drink uh to excesses i think that i think that we we take all these things for granted that everybody's going to make sure that our food is safe 
Um, and uh, and if we don't if we don't do it ourselves, if you don't look and find out for yourself, then maybe your food might not be safe. I don't know. It's just a question. It's like a. It was, I think it was a good subtext. I think it. I think it brings up a uh, a point, but ne- doesn't necessarily answer the point because it's just a a fun little horror movie. <laughs> I don't know, Tara. Do, would you like to say something? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we weren't we weren't trying to go super deep, but yeah, all of the food culture and the we tried to to play both sides um, of the the sort of people who don't care about and anything that they put in their mouth, any food, they just whatever. Uh, it doesn't ma- matter where it came from or what kind of, you know, scandal might be attached to to a particular, you know, corporate food. But then there's the people who care maybe a little too much and were sort of poking fun at the, the you know, the overly concerned, uh, you know, sort of, sort of liberal mindset. I think we tried to equally um, touch both sides of that issue. But yeah, at the end of the day, we just wanted to make a fun, entertaining film. So, you know, didn't want to go too too uh, preachy or or um, to make too much of a point on our message. But it's out there. <laughs> well, I tell you, uh, the film does is it does convey a comedic feel to it. It has the horror feel to it, the thriller. Um, uh, Joshua, uh, this next question uh, centered towards you. Uh, I see a, a lot of very creative uh, shots. And one shot in particular, uh, the family sitting around the table and you do the camera work around the table. Uh, that's uh, I, When I saw that, I was like, yes, somebody uh, really uh, <laughs> knows how to work the camera. Um, and also, you have that... Uh, Hitchcockian feel to it, that depth of field where the person seems to be uh, like hallucinating. Um, when you plan these shots, what what were the stages and you know being different in these shots? Um, well, working with well, first of all, thank you very much. The um, it, it's it's uh, it's a, it's my first directing uh, feature. So that it means a lot to me to to get it done uh, where where people notice the directing. Uh, second, um, I, I think that my camera operator and and my director of photography, it's their first feature as well, and we all just had this really great um, like desire and and need to be original and to have things that people hadn't really seen before. And to do things that were more difficult because we're kind of proving ourselves in a certain sense, and so we would we we got a, a gimbal uh, with the with the idea that we would do a lot of moving shots all around all the time, have the camera constantly moving, which was really hard, uh, and sometimes uh, we weren't that successful, but um, but moving around the table. We really saw that moment as this, uh, you know, this is like the Alice in Wonderland moment or like the, you know, um, the tornado moment in, you know, Wizard of Oz. This is the moment where they go from like reality to like non-reality. So we had to have something 
that would transport them. So we spun it around the table as just um, something that we could try, you know? There's a lot of experiments in this film. And uh, the actors were so good that they got all their lines and they kind of, and we just hit each one of them right as their line hit. Um, then the editor took and, and kind of messed with the speed a little bit and then added a lot of little shots in and all these sound effects of eating. And it just kind of gives you this really gross feeling. I, it was definitely a, it was a group effort, first of all. So, um, but I'll, you know, as directing, I was like, let's, let's do this. Let's spin it around. And, and, uh, and, and when we did it, Honestly, on set, we all knew we had something a little special for that moment. Um, but yeah, uh, I, 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 we planned it a little bit, but we also were experimenting. And it happened on most of our moving shots. We had a lot of moving shots that we did that were, we tried to do them at the beginning of the day to see if we could get something cool. And, you know, cause it's, it's difficult to move the camera like that. And then, uh, and then we'd go back to kind of doing a, a more standard approach. We, we had lenses like a fisheye lens as well that would really like make things look different. Um, we, you know, we already knew that we wanted to make a psychedelic movie, obviously. So we brought the tools to do it um, and then and then, yeah, hopefully we were successful. <laughs> yeah, very, very much so successful because uh, being, I, I've seen my great share of indie films and what irks me is when this camera is so static and I'm thinking to myself, it, it would be nice if the shot was more uh, walking around or up and, that, you know, different angles. And when I was watching Buzz hollowed buzzard hollowed beef it was like yes finally somebody yeah this is great <laughs> good thank you you're welcome and um you mentioned fish eye lens uh were you using a dslr for this uh, for the shooting of this film yeah yeah we used the the sony a7s um combined with uh um rokinon lenses which are cinema glass that is uh, made in Korea that's slightly inexpensive uh, uh, lenses, um, but they are they're cinema lenses and they're and they're all you know they all matched so they had a really good look to them all. Um, and then we we um, we were able to uh, take that Sony DSLR camera and go to 4K uh, with a um, a Shogun uh, monitor which is a, it's just a monitor that records for you. So you don't have to do any upraising or anything like that. So anybody who's technical can kind of see that. Uh, hopefully take, take notes um, that it's, the film actually, we can project it in 4K and in theaters and it's got a 5.1 sound. So it's, it's as big and it's as, uh, as cinematic. cinematic as any major film, but we did shoot it on a Sony uh, A7S. Nice, impressive. Uh, <clears throat> uh, this question uh, for Terracy Hall. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, you see, I'm, I'm so used. To, I just finished doing a, another roundtable interview, so I was like naming names. So I kind of <laughs> get that in. Um, th your approach uh, co-writing this film 
Um, how do you see right now the status of women in horror? How have the status developed throughout the years comparison to the 70s where actresses were just portrayed as being submissive under a male mm -hmm. dominant antagonist? Um, I see it as hugely important um, just for um, just for the genre to continue. We need to have uh, more women and more people of color and more diversity, more voices. Uh, I, I, I think it's even a, a trend, uh, the sort of female exploitation in horror has continued far from the 70s into the 90s and early 2000s. And it, it seemed like there, there was nothing new coming out for a long time, no, no new uh, takes on it. And then all of a sudden, there's just been, in the last few years even, uh, an explosion with um, Jennifer Kent and Anna Lily Anampour and all these really great uh, female filmmakers. So, yeah, I feel like it was incredibly important for both of us to just have a, have a dynamic that wasn't just a singular voice. Uh, it was important to our lead actress. Uh, she had retired from acting because of horror films and made a comeback because I had written it. So, yeah, I feel like uh, I, haven't, I have a role to play, um, but I'm just a drop in the bucket. There's so much happening right now, which is really exciting for women in horror. Exactly. Um, absolutely. And this was the topic we, I was just uh, conversing with. We need to see more women in horror, uh, more uh, people of color, Latinos, African-Americans, just um, coming to the forefront and pushing different ideas and re regurgitate, regurgitating the same ideas and horror is not doing so well. And Hollywood is notorious for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. There's just, there's so much more. I mean, look at how well Get Out did. And that's just taking a perspective that no, there's no straight white man that could come with, come up with that. Um, that's just purely point of view. And that's um, also, you know, genius filmmaking from, you know, the very talented Jordan Peele, but just so much comes out of diversity. Um, there's just a higher level of quality when we get many different people coming from many different perspectives with, you know, ideas that, you know, you'd come up with something completely different than me if we, even if we were talking about the same thing, uh, trying to make the same film. We have two completely different films and there's, there's something very beautiful about that. Precisely. Especially with the, uh, with the scenario that uh, Joshua described. I, I'm trying to think of a scenario myself for a film that I can't think of one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think earlier, too, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do is make it female-centric and not just be, like, this final girl, like, slasher film. We wanted our our female character, our main character, to, to be really sympathetic and really uh, diverse in herself. She's a single mom. Single mothers tend to, like get the short end of the stick for a lot of reasons. People just treat them like crap and there's not a lot of help. You're a little, you're like alienated and, and, and just out there. 
I but think they're that, they're also incredibly strong, uh, you know, in general, in in you know, in real life. But they're they're really portrayed that way as as these really strong, you know, characters that can persevere. But that's the truth of it. Um, you know, I was raised by a single mom, so I have a a certain bias towards that particular character and and you know her perspective. Uh, absolutely, and I believe that's a situation that has been perpetrated by companies like Disney that put stepmothers and mothers in a bad light, which is such a negative. Yes, absolutely. It, I mean, you know, the the, the diversity and perspective and, you know, more female-centric films have, has always been sort of niche and, uh, you know, more of it on the indie circuit, but I feel like that's changing. Definitely slowly, but it's changing. Right, right. Uh, changing for the better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, for the production of Buzzard Hallowed Beef, um, how was the workflow and how long did it take for the transition from script to screen? Mm. Um, well, the script took about uh, nine months, about nine months mm -hmm. to a year. From can, how long would you say? Oh, no, because, well, uh, the script as far as like starting to write it and then finishing it, that was probably about three months. Mm. Because it was really, it was really quick. But the idea sat there in an outline on my computer for maybe two years. It just sat there, and we didn't do anything with it. But then, but when then, we decided to write it, I think it was over the summer, right before we shot. So we we started writing it over the summer and passed it back and forth. Most of the writing was obviously done by Tara. I would I work in as a producer in reality TV, and so I was at work, and she would write and write and write. And uh, she got it done in August. We mm -hmm. started shooting in December. Yeah, we really started pre-production in September. In, yeah, like early September, and then we we had a few months of prep, but yeah, not very much. Yeah, and then. After it was shot, it was shot uh, just in the month of December, and then we were supposed to go straight into post in January, but we didn't. And it took us about all year, and we finally got an editor in October of that same year. So it took us two years. But, um, uh, you know, there was every step of the way, including pre-production, including like the sending it out to festivals and getting distribution every single step was a major learning uh moment that we had never done so yeah. uh and we did it pretty much the two of us in our house uh <laughs> just the, together uh trying to figure this thing out so yeah aside from shooting yeah yeah, you know, and yeah, so we had reshoots that happened um, yeah. uh, during the post-production. Um, we had lots of stuff that came into play. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so for 
doing all the marketing and the filming, what were the challenges that surfaced that really um, you guys made note of it for the second time around for your next production, you would uh, try to avoid and uh, achieve better? Um, I think one of the harder things well, with shooting was that we didn't have very much time. And, and so um, we only, we had a 16 day shoot, which was just not, not, um, you know, ideal, but I think, I don't know, next time, I, I don't even like, we, we learned so much. There's not one single lesson that came out of it, but um, I think maybe, um, we, um, you know, looking at most uh, features and stuff like that, you'll see like there's a huge amount of camera department and there's a lot big, big, um, like if you're doing special effects, there's a big special effects yeah. department. Um, one of the things that we had was like maybe three guys in our camera department and only one or two people in our special effects department. Um, something that we're looking forward to our next uh, production because we have two scripts and we're ready. We're trying to get them uh, financed right now. One thing that I absolutely want is um, a, a special effects company or a special effects team. Uh, multiple people that like when one person is not going to be there, the other person is fabricating or, or vice versa. When we had only one person who's doing all of it, that that was a lot of pressure uh, on them to uh, to create the effect and then apply it during on set during shooting and all that kind of stuff. It was it was not ideal. And then the same thing goes with camera. Like these guys carrying this camera around over and over again, having run out and changed lenses themselves. Really, it just it we all worked really really hard. Uh, to fill in the gaps, but having more people it would just just make things move smoother, yeah, like a and lot. faster. And then, honestly, that's, I guess that's not really a lesson that I learned. I already knew that, um, but but um, but I know how uh, crucial it is at this point. Yeah. And um, buzzard hollowed beef. Uh, of course, when audiences watch it. Uh, my myself, I analyzed the sets. Uh, I see that uh, the sets were limited, and you have the home, the interior of the home with the family sit set, and mm -hmm. the other uh, scenes were sparingly. Were these ideal for keeping costs down? Is that is, was that the approach for the for the film? Yeah, that was that was part of it. We also tried to keep uh, the care, you know, the amount of characters small as well. Uh, there is something to be said for containing a story to a certain degree uh, in order to develop the characters more and and have you know more of an arc for for each of those characters rather than uh, making it too big um, and losing some of that intimacy. But yeah, the cost definitely came into play and we shot in the small town of Olympia where Josh grew up because we could get locations for very, very cheap or free sometimes. And 
we could use local actors and you know uh, you know local places and make the most of that. Whereas in LA, it's it's really hard to stretch that out as much as we did there. So yeah, cost definitely came into it. Oh, that's funny. Uh, I think uh, it would have had a different scenario if it was shot in LA with all those yeah. fancy, fancy food places and uh, organic stores. <laughs> that that would have been a crazy play there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the setting of the town was, I, I mean, it's great because the Northwest has such a such a look that's just so characteristic of, of the Pacific Northwest. And that was something that, that we knew we could capture and would give it a certain feel. And uh, somebody even brought up the idea of, of um, uh, Northwest horror being a subgenre. And I think if it's not already, then it should be because um, that place is dark and gloomy most of the winter. It's It gets sunsets at 4, p- 4 p.m. So that uh, certainly gives it a certain gloomy feel. Ah, that, that also describes New York too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's dark and gloomy here um <laughs> that is that is quite funny um buzzard hollowed beef also conveys uh good character development and this is a uh scarce in the horror cinema you have films that do project it but it's very few because it's always going for the eye candy the jump scares mm-hmm. But in here, mm-hmm. we have a different point of view. The characters are projected first. Uh, what is your opinion on that and your exploration in the film to put that s- as a centerpiece? Um, well, I have absolutely nothing against eye candy, gore, and jump scares. But personally, um, it's it's harder for me to write that and actually... Uh, with any sort of conviction, I um, it was always important to me to have a connection to the characters because if I don't, then I'm not afraid for them. And that was my whole philosophy. If I don't care about the characters, why do I care what happens to them? Oh. Don't worry about it. Just let it go. Okay. Um, so I, I think um, I think speaking to that, uh, uh, just speaking of that, I think that the we've got another call coming in, so can wait until he is like wait. Okay. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. okay. So yeah, I mean, just obviously, and we both talked about this all the time. Tara and I watch movies together. We 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 have similar tastes and stuff, and and obviously. If you don't care about somebody, you're not going to care if they live or die. You know, like if they're just if they're just two dimensional, and um, and just uh, just these like uh, stereotypical horror movie characters that you know are going to get killed. Well, it just becomes something that I, I don't know. You just you kind of tune out after a while. It just turns into um, generic. Uh, schlock, I guess, is what I call it. But then one of the things too is that all of the stuff, like the the gore and the things that would that would happen to these people, 
it all had to have meaning as well. Like we didn't want to, uh, you, you know, like uh, Joel um, famously, uh, the, the character who uh, peels mm-hmm. his own face off, um, he has some real, uh, you know, some real stuff behind that. Like he really likes himself. He loves himself. He thinks he's so great and he loves to get high all the time and he has some identity issues. And I think that I was like, okay, well, he's got to peel his face off. Um, <laughs> Naturally. Yeah, I think that, you know, uh, Jordan, our, uh, our single mom, is, is terrified of, of having another kid and uh, being pregnant again. And so we gave her a hallucination where she uh, uh, is having a nightmare about being pregnant again. Um, it was all very... Uh, character driven entirely and I think that even like little scares little jump scares that you may have I think that um, that has to that has to be built into the character um, and if you know if, if we're continuing to produce and, and create uh, horror films you'll see that in all of our films that every single time somebody is uh, in danger, it's because of something that they're doing. Everything is motivated. Um, I'm a really firm believer in, in having a reason for everything that you do. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. And from a from a business perspective slash creative perspective, uh, what are these certain challenges, and what advices would you? Uh, cater to those who are trying to put their foot into filmmaking and especially in the over competitive indie scene and horror Mm. well I think that you need to find that spark that thing in your (laughs) in your story that makes it different from every other story and you really need to draw from that uh, I think that you need to know who your audience is going to be before you even start. You need to think about, even if it's a small niche indie film, you need to think about your audience and, and what they're going to want. Um, um, and then, you know, that you need to keep drawing from that, that inspiration. What is it that, what is it about this story that needs to be told? What is it that you're going to do that's going to be just a little bit different, going to offer that to because uh, horror fans have a pretty insatiable appetite but they're also you know you got to offer them something you can't just can't just be a uh, gore you got to give them a little little extra you know you got to give them whether it's character or just something different what's what's in your idea that that's going to set you apart from other horror films Gosh, you have anything? No, I think that's it. I just also say just like stay true to yourself, obviously. Yeah. Be really be really genuine and know who you are. I think that it doesn't matter if you're making horror films or if you're making um like independent dramas, uh people can see through disingenuousness. That's not a word. That's <laughs> not a word. The uh people can see it if you're lying. Insincerity. Yeah, if you're insincere if you're not, if you're not, uh, if you're not coming from a real place uh, that um, that uh, 
you know, I, you know, like uh, Get Out, that the film that came out last uh, last January, it, it blew me away because it was such a it was such a sincere film. This is such a a, a frightening film that anybody uh, black or white uh, should be able to identify with those fears. And it and 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 it and it seems very personal too. Like it's something that is also probably uh, uh, Jordan Peele probably feels like on a regular basis. Like if he's in a room full of white people, he probably has like these unnatural fears that happen. Just like everybody else. Like when I'm in a little town in in North Carolina, and I'm having these completely unnatural fears, like these dark fantasies start to happen in my mind, I think that that's what everybody's tapping into. It, whether it's a horror film or even like a drama, if you're having a relationship with somebody and you really want to explore that, um, you know, I, I think that I think that those kinds of movies can be really good. Um, having your own personal perspective makes, yeah. makes it, it, for some reason, it comes out very universal. Uh, to most people, no matter how diverse you are. Yeah. Thank you for that. And f being indie filmmakers, do you find that the resources uh, at our disposal, such as technology and, of course, crowdfunding campaigns, is that uh, has its pros or cons in fulfilling your vision uh, from idea concept to fulfillment? Absolutely. I, I yes, there are definitely there's definitely pros and cons. Um, that it's a lot more accessible and a lot more affordable to make a film than it was even five years ago and ten years ago. Um, but that also means that the market is flooded with indie films, and so it, you just have to be that much better and make sure that your your story and your script and your your casting and everything is is you know sets you apart so yeah i feel like there's definite if if it weren't for the technology that we have the camera that we used and the you know the software for editing and all the stuff that was so much more um accessible i i don't think we could have made this film so but yeah being being a drop in in a very large ocean is is its own issue is its own con i guess yeah honestly um we didn't do the um crowdfunding, crowdfunding. and uh one of the reasons why we didn't do it was because um uh when we started to look around we we just didn't think that we were going to get enough money the um, there was there was a certain there's a there's a low end and a high end on on crowdfunding and uh, and I don't I don't know uh, yeah I don't I don't know that we would have been successful in our crowdfunding mm -hmm. uh, we we were already uh, mired in uh, pre-production and and things like that so um, maybe halfway through the film maybe we could have started a, a crowdfunding thing for post-production and that might have been successful but we we didn't really go that route because i think we we're a little too afraid that we wouldn't be 
we wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. So I just, you know, we just went and tried to make the money um, yeah. to pay for it. So, Which is probably why it took so long to finish. It's true, too, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was about to say that because uh, uh, b- having personal schedules, then the film schedule, then the finding the monetary resources that does it compounds the whole development process, and uh, money just helps uh, in certain aspects. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and uh, who knows? I mean, it's it is it is definitely the. It's there is a bit of a uh, catch twenty two in this business. If you don't, if you don't have like the right connections, you won't have the money, and if you don't have the money, you won't be able to make those connections. So certain things can uh, really just stall out and be uh, be stuck in development forever. Um, but um, yeah, that is one of the biggest hurdles um, that we come across. Uh, just getting going. And the the hurdles are good because it poses the challenges and you overcome them. And <laughs> when you, when you succeed, yeah. he says, "Yes, I did it." Now on to the next one. Yep. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. I I can't describe how excited and you know how wonderful we feel getting to this point. There were definitely moments when we didn't think we'd be here, but yeah, it's definitely the hurdles that we've overcome it gives you a sense of accomplishment for sure and we're thankful we were very grateful <laughs> we're very thankful that's true we're very <laughs> thankful <laughs> and uh touching on that um uh buzzard hollowed beef went on to win uh some prestigious awards at the fantastic horror film festival in san diego nominations uh both in that film festival and women in horror film festival that took place a couple of months back in 2017 mm-hmm. um so how was that feeling yeah you seen these nominations these awards coming in and mm-hmm. uh that end achievement that your uh concept has uh has achieved uh we're uh, we're shocked and elated like i really i don't have the words i we weren't expecting any of this to be honest we weren't sure what to expect but yeah it's just it's an overwhelming feeling that that we've been received so so generously by these festivals yeah yeah i don't know what to to say it's been it's been really neat, like walking into a festival and these people love your movie and they want to help you share it with an audience. And then the audience's reaction, people are laughing and and and, and shouting things at the screen. Uh, it's exactly what you want. Uh, you just want you just uh, you want a reaction and you want to, you want people to have fun. Yeah. Um. I. Uh, yeah, we haven't really we haven't really experienced much of that. We did some short films and and they're they're good and people like them a lot. But um, this festival run has just made us feel so good, and I don't know really what to say. Um, we're just yeah, especially with the the Women in Horror Fest in Atlanta that uh, Sam and Vanessa founded is just overwhelmingly supportive and. They are building a community of 
of uh, independent filmmakers like I've never seen before. And it's just, it's humbling uh, to see that in action. It's just really wonderful. We've all been like able to support each other and ever, I mean, even though it was just a couple months ago, we're all like keeping in touch over social media and just patting each other on the back and sharing each other's uh, projects and things like that. Um, that particular festival uh, was just a like a community incubator. Like all of a sudden we're all like friends and uh, it seemed really, really wonderful. Uh, I was glad to be a part of that. The, um, yeah. Uh, it feels like we, kind of feels like we joined a cult, but the best <laughs> possible cult. Uh, yeah, uh, Sam, as a matter of fact, uh, she is a content contributor here at DK Mag, and when she uh, had uh, emailed me, hey, you want to uh, review some of these films that were screened at Women in Horror Film? I, of course, yes. I am a big <laughs> supporter of women in horror, Latino in horror, uh, people of color in horror, because uh, that is what's going to push indie uh, into the mainstream and hopefully change perspectives on how not only in horror but in just filmmaking in general into the next level mm-hmm. yeah 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 for sure and with that said um <clears throat> this is the point of the interview where i ask the interviewees to come up with a question if the question could be anything doesn't have to be film related or horror related because we have thanksgiving coming up it could be about food one question Mm. that you would like the audience to answer that you're curious about Mm. um oh what's your what's your favorite thanksgiving side dish i Um, mean we did a thanksgiving themed film so i think that's appropriate yeah side dish that's good I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you came up with one because I'm still sitting here at a uh, lot. Um, <sighs> um, is there uh, weirdest Thanksgiving moment? Weirdest holiday moment? Yeah. Um, does your uh, well? Can I ask you a question before I ask? Does your audience? Uh, your audience sees this and then they respond in some sort of fashion or something? Yes. Uh, what they, a, what a, right, in the comments. Right, right. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess if... Um, Favorite holiday-themed horror film? Yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear holiday themed horror films whether it's you know uh fourth of july or christmas Christmas. um what's your favorite uh holiday themed horror film the uh and and is there a holiday that's not represented is there i because i don't think fourth of july July is not yeah guy fox day it's not that's a good one but field day is not no (laughs) so many opportunities Oh, well, yeah, St. Patrick's is, yeah, I think that one's done too. Yeah. And uh, following this, um, the platform is open. Uh, 
you could uh, plug your social media outlets where well you did mention where to find it but you could you could repeat it as well in this segment but yeah. and any uh, any upcoming projects that you have in the works uh, that you would like to uh, put out there well the screenplay that the Tara uh, wrote that was featured in the Women in Horror Film Festival was nominated uh, one runner-up it's called God's Work is Never Done it's a it's a film about a female serial killer. It's a it's a thriller and it's very serious. We don't actually have any comedy in there at all. Um, uh, we're trying to get that produced right now. We're working on it. And, uh, we just finished some location scouting in the Pacific Northwest. Um, yeah. yeah, we're getting some, some little things in a row so that we can be ready when, uh, and, that, and that's put what, financing together. That's our next project. That's what we'd really like to do. And um, with people asking us about sequels for Buzzard Hollow Beef, we're in the middle of writing this uh, screenplay for that, which is it's, um, it's kind of writes itself. <laughs> the, um, um, and uh, yeah, then uh, also you, I guess you can you can view our movie on Amazon Prime if you have Prime. It's free. Uh, it's also available on iTunes and Google Play. Oh, and our distributor is doing, uh, I think today only, they're doing a promotion of free, of two free iTunes uh, downloads if you like them on social media. So That's Multicom Entertainment. Entertainment. And, yeah, we've got a Facebook page. We've got Instagram and Twitter. Uh, just look for Buzzard Hollow One on Instagram and Twitter. And we're at manwomanfilm.com. Our production company is called uh, Man and a Woman Productions. Um, and uh, look out for the Buzzard Hollow Beef soundtrack. It's going to be up pretty soon. It's a lot of synth, mostly, you know, John Carpenter style <laughs> um, soundtrack that we tried to put together for, for that. We just like that vibe. I don't know. Yeah. We didn't talk too much about the soundtrack, but it's um, a really good friend of mine and I uh, put it together. He's a, a producer from Seattle who, um, who does a lot of uh, hip hop and other things. But yeah, I think that's enough plugging. I think we've. <laughs> there's never, car. there's no such thing. You can plug all you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's free. <laughs> all day. Exactly. Oh wow. Well, thank you so much for this, uh, for your time, for this interview. Uh, greatly appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much yeah. for taking the time to talk to with us. We love talking about our movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was really our pleasure. Uh, thank you. It was good to good to talk to you and kind of meet you. <laughs> so. <laughs> Video Games and The Quest Giver, 2D Fantasy Guild Manager Simulation. The Quest Giver is a point-and-click RPG action-adventure simulation game. And it is currently in the crowdfunding, in particular Kickstarter. And it has four days to go. It has 204 backers as, as of now. And they are asking for $17,888 for the 
for production costs. The game would be available for Android, Apple, Linux, and Windows. Here is a brief description of the Quest Giver. The Quest Giver is all about quest giving, a game that wants to show how much effort it is to create and assign quests, and what presumably happens in the life of a guild owner which commonly gets overshadowed by the fame and glory of the heroes whose names will be remembered forever. We thought it was time to let you see things from the perspective of the forgotten, the man or woman who made all the tales of great adventure possible in the first place. Of course, you won't be just standing around waiting for adventure to arrive you would be managing your own adventures guild as the quest giver in this guild management simulation. Based on the trailer, there are many things to do here in this game. You could choose a quest type which is loot, fight, travel, gather. This is particularly of interest to any RPG gamer who enjoys games like Final Fantasy and based on the description for the quest giver, it is a turn-based system. There are so many complexities of these games that make it so enjoyable. Uh, yeah, definitely do check this one out. Here is a few words from lead developer Daniel Shudrick. Quote, We feel today's games guide player too much to a point where they've begun to limit the decisions the player makes in order to assist them. The quest giver. We want to give players the chance to actually create a quest to show how much effort goes into them. And as we wanted to do it in such a way that we didn't have to help them too much with our approach to the game the player would have to learn to think and to decide what options they wish to choose from and at their own accord. For our game we decided to not include pre-built choices, no prohibitions or automated progresses. In addition we provide players with all the necessary tools they would need in order to be a real quest giver. But how they utilize those tools is truly up to the player and ultimately requires them to decide on how they wish to use them." Unquote. Wow, that is certainly a game to look out for. We are seeing more indie developers pushing the envelope for the games that allow players to not only choose your own adventure but choose your own path. Do you create a character that is good, that is evil? Open world systems where you could just freely take as you want or interact with NPCs which is an acronym for non-playable characters. Do you save the princess or do you let the dragon eat her up? It's There's so many choices, so, so many of these games that are for choices and to incorporate an RPG, which is an acronym for role-playing game, further enhances the gameplay. I have to admit, I do not particularly like when a game is already predetermined with 
predetermined courses, actions. I prefer open world platforms. RPGs, it depends on the theme. Uh, something, let's say, along the lines of Borderlands is a great RPG that I have, I'm a big fan of. Uh, for a Dungeons and Dragons type uh, backdrop, yeah. I'm, yeah, I have to really get into that. I haven't played a game such as that. I haven't played Skyrim. I, I think the last game I played was Baldur's Gate. I mean, woof, that that was so year, so long ago. Anyway, so if you're into fantasy guild management systems, RPGs, choose your own adventures, do give this a watch. As I mentioned before, it is currently on Kickstarter. It has a few days left if you want to donate. But uh, yeah, do give this one a watch. And I'm assuming it will be available on Steam given that the platforms it is open for, which is Linux and Windows. Yeah, give it a shot. Black Mirror release November 27th. Released today on the 27th of November, 2017 is a game titled Black Mirror. The developer is King Art and it's published by THQ Nordic. Here is the synopsis for Black Mirror. Scotland, 1926. Following the death of his father, David Gordon visits his ancestral home for the first time in his life. A life that is soon threatened by the dark secrets that claim the sanity of many Gordons before him. Black Mirror Castle demands an offering. The overview for Black Mirror is a gothic horror. For those in the audience who are unfamiliar with gothic horror, think of Guillermo del Toro's film Crimson Peak. That is a gothic horror film. Take that concept into the video game realm and you have a gothic horror game. This is an adventure and uh, it of course is horror. What's interesting about it is it, it's a point and click adventure game, which is cool because sometimes uh, you just want to sit back and let the ghost spook you out in a different type of way. Looking at the trailer, I did not get the impression that it was a point-and-click game. It is a cinematic presentation and it does not show any in-game uh, type of visuals. And that the game is available right now for Steam, for PC uh, systems. <clears throat> With that, the game is now available on Steam for Windows, Mac, Steam OS, and Linux. According to the press release that we just got a few minutes ago, it is Black Mirror is also available for PS4, Xbox One. Yeah, looks good to me. Here are some key features, a modern reimagining of the acclaimed gothic horror adventure series interactions with 
vision-like apparitions which help you learn more about your family's past. Eerie atmosphere focusing on the horrors of the mind in the style of Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft. High quality voice acting from a compelling ensemble cast. Now, if you head on over to Steam, you will see the trailer. You have some extra tidbits, but we'll be all providing this as well in our podcast overview here at DK Mag. We'll be providing some images and the trailer for Black Mirror. Let me tell you, I'm very interested in this game. I'm not keen on point-and-click games, but judging by the synopsis, I, I enjoyed this type of mystery. Boy now on iTunes. If you enjoy side-scroller, retro-inspired action RPG games, and throw in some hack and slash action. Be sure to check out Ghoul Boy. It's readily available now on iTunes. Here is a brief description of Ghoul Boy. This is a retro inspired Halloween style action platformer. It is using 2D side scroller visuals. And in this game, you play as the heroic character and it's set against a backdrop of gloomy environments you go up against demonic bosses and there the visuals also has that pixelation similar to those old 80s games so this is definitely when they say retro inspired it is definitely a throwback to classic video games good boy here is a brief uh, synopsis for it uh, actually, it's a brief description. Ghoul Boy brings back the look and feel of the very best classic retro platformers from the 90s, introducing refreshed and engaging gameplay mechanics. If you miss platformers from the 16-bit era and think games nowadays aren't that good anymore, think twice. Well, I'm going to have to debate that comment because the games have evolved tremendously from the 80s and they look so much realistic in comparison to the pixelations that were available during the 90s, sometimes some 90s and 80s. So if you're looking for a throwback classic, Goo Boy is one of those game titles. Now. Here are some extra tidbits about this video game. It's a, it, according to the press release, it states that it's a great adventure. Explore a magical realm of dungeons, towns, treasures, and devious monsters. And it's also utilizing weaponry, which is magic and swords. So you can find powerful weapons, items, and spells to defeat your enemies. Good Boy features four bosses chiptune retro music soundtrack puzzles weapons throwable weapons it works on the ipad iphone ipod touch so this is not available for android and we rarely uh, give specific games we usually 
uh, showcase games that are across platforms, but given that it's a, a side-scroller, retro-inspired game, fantasy game, I'm sure many in the audience would have an appreciation to download this game. So yeah, we are giving iPhone products uh, a spotlight this time. Don't get used to it. Next time around, you'll be excluded from coverage. You'll just be strictly Android. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just joking, ladies and gentlemen. Go boy, if you like those uh, retro-inspired games, if you want to take a break from something more intense, let's say Wolfenstein or The Evil Within, and you want to just, you know, go on your iDevices, yeah, go right ahead and check out Good Boy. Trailer first impressions. Dangerous people. You ready to do this? Yep. Life was so beautiful in the beginning. Releasing on December 12, 2017 via SGL Entertainment is the film titled Dangerous People. The film is written by Richard R. Anarski and Garo Nigogosian. The synopsis for Dangerous People reads as follows. Dangerous People takes place in the early 1970s and is about two murderers who pick up a girl in a bar and then take her back to their apartment. A moment of brutal violence occurs which leads to a series of mind games to see who lives and who dies. Dangerous People is a psychedelic trip that is equal parts crazy, scary, sexy, funny, sick and tragic. Judging by the trailer, this is our trailer first impressions and uh, yeah, judging by the trailer, everything that is summed up in the summary, especially in the last sentence, crazy, scary, sexy, funny, sick and tragic are all featured in this trailer. I particularly enjoy the cinematography in which has that 70s vibe. The cars, the clothing, the angles, the color filters, everything just screams 70s era. So that's a good throwback touch. I'm also have to point out that whenever a trailer has the thumbnail of a naked woman laying in bed, that tells you which direction this film is going towards. So it has some brutal violence and th this trailer is a red band trailer not safe for work and let me tell you if the f if the movie really symbolizes what this trailer is putting out for its promo then yeah this is a film to see the acting is pretty solid in the trailer 
that's what is evident and that's what really sticks out with me for trailers cinematography acting and yeah all that is left is to get the film in our hands and do a full thorough review so far i like what i see the acting is good the cinematography is good the throwback era the homage to those old films definitely spot on and merging crazy sexy funny and all these words yes definitely has that vibe the violence the gore it is spot on and like i said the nudity factor is kicked up into high gear yeah it's about time we get a film such as this yeah you gotta leave it to the indie filmmakers to really push the envelope hollywood is not dishing out something like this and if you go into indb dangerous people it is labeled as a comedy thriller well i don't know whose humor that is because judging by the trailer and the footage that i'm seeing i do not see any level of comedy everything is serious toned woman getting her head cut off uh, neck slashed and blowjobs and breasts yeah i don't see any comedy there thriller perhaps but underneath all those filters and violence and sex uh, i'm gonna lean more towards horror so as i mentioned dangerous people will be releasing on the 12th of december but stay tuned because we'll be providing a film review shortly night hunters so it's true And here is a trailer first impressions for Night Hunters. This film was originally titled Full Moon Inc. This is the latest information. Tom Cat Films and Summerhill Films have acquired Night Hunters for distribution. And with it comes a title change. No surprise there that usually happens when distribution companies acquire a film and they are not too keen about the title. Not only that, but Night Hunters gets some overhaul in the film poster area as well. The director is Thomas Smith and it is written by Aaron Lilly and co-written by Thomas Smith. Here is the synopsis. Nick Moon, P.I., which means paranormal investigator, delves into a hidden world of monsters and creatures of the night as he takes on a case to retrieve an ancient artifact with astonishing powers. 
first, let's delve on the synopsis. This sounds strikingly familiar. I've read it, this before, I've heard this before, and yes, I have seen films such as this before. And now, when I watched the trailer, I my doubts were solidified. My curiosity was solidified. Yes, I have seen films such as this in which a investigator of sorts either retired or active finds or comes across a device that holds supernatural powers. But in this film, you get to see a different perspective to that narrative. The trailer offers the things that I am looking for, which is cinematography and acting. For the acting, it is trekking on B-level quality, which is not bad and is not good either. It's just B-acting quality. That may appeal to certain niche of the horror cinema horror enthusiasts. For special effects, it is a little bit too much for my taste. Uh, you could see that After Effects or whatever software they're using for the special effects is kicked up into overdrive. I in one part of the trailer, I thought the main character was gonna do some type of Hadouken fireballs, uh, a la Street Fighter Ryu style, and uh, yeah, it it does have its moments, but it's just a little over the top for me. Now, for the creature designs. They're very innovative in a way, in, and I do stress in a way, because you could tell I freeze-framed the trailer at certain instances just to see the quality of these makeup effects, and you do see that the character's eyes, the actor, the performer's eyes are seen underneath the makeup application, the prosthetic whatever uh, uh, chemical compound that they're using to create these effects. I'm not sure if that was intentional or not, but it just shows the type of quality of makeup design that you're getting in a film like this. And let me tell you, that takes up a big budget in any horror film, and it is with makeup design and special effects CGI and this movie Night Hunters or aka Full Moon Inc is heavy in both environments. This film may appease, may appeal to certain niches as I said that you have a certain group that do appreciate films, B-movie films with heavy special effects and kind of borderline uh, makeup application. That's not to say Night Hunters is a bad film, no, it just, I didn't find that connection with the film, being that it's very familiar to me, and also the fact that, uh, just the makeup design, I'm a big fan of practical effects, and if it's just not convincing enough, I'm not, you, you're not selling the product to me. That's my opinion. Anybody else could have a different opinion. 
those in the audience that are listening uh, just probably don't give a fuck and they just want to see the film and the concept as is so stay tuned for more information on night hunters aka full moon inc now that it has a distribution we should expect a release date soon Boggy Creek Monster and the Mothman of Point Pleasant. Lord, what can I do? This this thing is here. It must it, this evil presence? And I turn my head to the right. I mean, I can still feel that, really. And there, this to me, it was the devil, Mothman, standing there. And I tried to talk, and I couldn't. It was this awful, horrible feeling. Rounding out our trailer first impressions is not a trailer first impressions these two films that you have just listened to the first one was the boggy creek monster teaser and the second one is the trailer for the mothman of point pleasant both of these films were created by filmmaker seth breedlove and they are now returning to digital platforms as of today the 27th of november 2017 these films focus on cryptozoological creatures and for those who may not know what cryptozoological creatures are they are something like bigfoot and in this case you have mothman you have the loch ness monster the chupacabra those are cryptozoological cryptids for short and reading off of the press release terror films in association with documentary filmmaker seth breedlove is widening the platform availability of two creature myth documentaries the documentaries are titled baki creek monster and the mothman of point Pleasant. Both films will begin their release expansion on Tuesday, November 21st. Now, I've been following cryptozoological creatures and the myths behind them since I was a young kid. Both of these films uh, do pique my interest and therefore I, I cannot give a trailer first impression because these are documentaries and I'll have to watch the film in order to give my two cents on the cinematography the quality of information the presentation of information in both of these documentaries some documentaries especially in the field of ufology 
tend to favor one course of information that is in most particularly it's outdated information i don't want to hear about roswell for the nine thousand time give me something fresh that is a proper documentary you start from the beginning you work your way up to different types of information i'm eager to see what the boggy creek monster and the mothman of point pleasant have to offer does it offer old information or is it some new and fresh stuff that has happened in recent years uh, in the case of the mothman of point pleasant as we all know there is it there was an accident involving a bridge people had seen this mothman like creature in the forest in the weeks leading up to this tragic event i'm eager to see if there have been any more sightings of this creature very intriguing creature and the boggy creek monster hmm that sounds like the skunk ape that is seen in the uh, florida uh area in the everglades anyway do keep your eyes open it's readily available on vod both of these films do check them out if you're into this uh field of research thank you ladies and gentlemen for tuning in to season six episode six dk mag podcast i am your host ken r2's dk mag founder and in this week's episode i was flying solo because of course it was thanksgiving week and giving my co-host the time off to enjoy thanksgiving dinner and so on and so forth so i took the reins and did the podcast solo saying that be sure to check out our podcast it's readily available now on spotify google music and itunes podcast which is a branch off of uh, itunes music you could also find dk mag across social networking platforms facebook twitter instagram google plus whoever's on google plus we are also on this new platform called miwi uh just right d-e-c-a-y-m-a-g I have to stress, we are not DK Magazine. We are not the word DK. We are not the letter D and K like Donna Karen. It is DK Mag. Put those two together. That is the name of our company. That is the name of our brand. So thank you once again. Be sure to download, listen, share our podcast share it across social networking share it with your friends family with your enemy let them be a part of the collective for dk mag thank you <laughs>